Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. You can find me on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook at Justin Bizarro. You can also find this show or all the other shows we do on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you want to be on the show, you can DM us on our Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can also follow us on there. And if you want to ask questions for any of the entrepreneurs that are on the show, you can also DM us and ask the questions there. And I will gladly ask the entrepreneurs. As you guys know, they generally come on the show more than once. So that also being said, thank you everyone for all the sharing, all the comments, all the reviews, all the five stars, all the the crazy goodness that you guys are bringing around word of mouth, sharing it. Like I said in previous episodes, we're in 140 plus countries right now in a world that has less than 200 countries. Okay, so that's pretty awesome numbers. That's pretty phenomenal. We are growing around the world. We do have a lot of food entrepreneurs in the food entrepreneur space that are listening to the show, that are sharing it, that are getting a lot of benefit out of it. So I want to thank all the entrepreneurs who have been on the show, all the entrepreneurs who are listening in. I love you guys. I appreciate what you're doing. So with that being said, I have a very special guest back with us, Greg Rips of Third Wave Cafe from Melbourne, Australia. This is part three. If you guys want to listen to part one, it is episode 295. If you want to listen to part two, it's episode 349. It's hard to believe that we keep doing that many. This, so everyone knows, is episode 369. So we're just cranking them out this year. We'll have released over 200 episodes in one year on this podcast. And I do that because I'm trying to level up and show everyone that consistency matters, okay? We've either released an episode every day or every other day for the last year, okay, once we hit October, okay? So by October, we should have 250 episodes that have been released in a year. And at that point, we'll have either released an episode every day or every other day for a year straight. So... Greg, how are you doing today? Hello, Justin. Congrats, by the way, on doing so many episodes. It's amazing. I know. I don't. Sometimes I can't believe I'm doing it. I'm like, how much time have I spent podcasting over the last year? Um, it's like the other day I looked at how many nights I've spent in a Marriott hotel over the last 25 years because I've always mm-hmm. gone to mostly Marriott hotels across the world. I've spent 1,893 nights in a hotel over the last 25 years of my life. That is equivalent of like five years of a life, you know, um, or four and a half years of if I were to stay in it every single night. That's kind of a crazy number. So um, that's not the they're gonna, Go ahead. They're going to make a, a new uh, tier for you. Um, I know. I know. Whatever is about platinum or whatever they have. Yeah, now they have titanium and it's over a lifetime. I don't even have to do it anymore. I'm titanium for life. It's kind of a crazy thing. Okay. But um, a titanium elite for life, by the way. So it's one of those things where I didn't even realize I was doing it, and it just kind of happened over time where all of a sudden you had lifetime status, and all of a sudden I'm titanium for life, I guess. So, Greg, I want to ask a few questions. You have some of the, you know, I we and we keep starting to talk about it during some of the episodes, but I've been really paying attention to your Instagram lately and really following you guys. And you guys have some of the craziest, coolest food creations I've ever seen. And like 
the way you present your food to the audience or to your consumers or customers, however you want to look at it, is quite incredible. The tomahawk steak, I believe it is, in a pie that looks phenomenal. I'm not even sure if, what kind of pie that is, but it's one of the most unbelievable things. And if anyone wants to reach out, it's Third Wave Cafe, uh, spelled out not with a number, uh, T-H-I-R-D. You, got, you should go to it on Instagram right now and watch their reels. You will stay on there forever and bring a napkin because you will drool like you're an old person. So talk to me about how you guys got into that, into that because I can't imagine that you started off with that type of food or, or that type of attraction. Yeah, so no, we we didn't. We started we started off selling uh, sort of American barbecue cuisine and and burgers, and then after a uh, couple of years of of doing that, we wanted to um, build our social media presence and uh, and spend more time on marketing our business that way, and started thinking about what is going to do it, and ultimately we started experiment with what will go viral uh, on, on social media. And this would have been in 2015, 16, so quite a number of years ago. Um, and uh, what we found is that if we created something unusual, uh, that would that would get much better reach than if we just showed our food. Even if we showed our food in a really, really nicely prepared way, it would still not uh, not reach as far as creating something that is an unusual dish. An unusual dish needs to make a person um, really. Marketing is all about putting question marks in, in people's heads, right? So they have to answer them uh, and answering them hopefully and guide them to answer them in a, in, a, in a particular way that is to answer them so that they end up buying from you, right? But first, it starts with a question mark. So uh, nobody nobody forces anybody to, to, to buy anything, but each individual forces themselves to buy things. And you can you can speed that along, you can help that along by um, by essentially injecting injecting ideas, concepts, and uh, question marks into your customers' heads that they have to answer with a positive such that they buy from you. So that that really what caused us to think about what do we what do we do? How can we create something that is going to make people look at our product, uh, have a question mark of what is it, how is it, when is it? I've never seen anything like it. I want to know more about it. And that would only, there's only one way to answer that is for them to come over and, and try it out for themselves. So, and, and ultimately that that really led us to to the business model that we currently, uh, currently have, and that is to create, uh, uh, inject theater into uh, into how we serve food, and that then translates both on uh, social and in the restaurant as well. Because when we bring out these dishes, every person who didn't order one turns around, looks at it, and uh, thinks to themselves, "I want one of those." And that means they might either order it if they haven't ordered it already, or they want to come back and try it out and bring their friends. Yeah, because I think one of the things we talked about is like that. You do the birthday thing where people come in for their birthday; they get a free meal basically mm-hmm. for two people and they can pick whatever they want and then I mean that's a it's a great marketing and advertising thing um, in my opinion the other thing I think that's really cool is I talked about the giant I don't I don't even know what type of steak are they that's uh, on the giant bone there okay so that that's um that's a beef sheen it's it's not a steak it's a it's a whole um whole beef sheen um 
uh, and it, it's big. It's about three kilos the, uh, with, with a bone. So uh, we, we, we actually, um, uh, funnily enough, we, we have a dish that, that has that beef shin as the star and it's got some mac and cheese and chips around it. Um, and we call that dish Thor's Hammer. And uh, it went completely viral to a point where people started walking into butchers and asking for Thor's Hammer and the butchers didn't know what is a Thor's hammer, which part of which animal that that really really is. We we, we ended up branding a a piece of animal uh, <laughs> as opposed to calling it a beef sheen. Everybody is now calling it a Thor's hammer. And it, if you look, if you ta- if you type in Thor's hammer into um, uh, social media, what you'll get is lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people copying copying what we've started doing uh, about a year and a half ago. But in, in this case, this particular dish is we just took that particular, uh, uh, that cut that we slow smoked, uh, and then what happens is we put it in a huge pie, and that's a brisket pie, also slow smoked brisket. Uh, and essentially we just, uh, because the, the shin is already uh, already smoked and the brisket is already smoked, we, we have the mixture and we, we bake it to order. So it only it takes about 40 minutes to, to get done. So it's, it's completely freshly freshly baked and served. And it's, it's a huge thing. And really it's enough for some, between four and six people to have a good meal. It's incredible because there's a lot of ideas that you guys have that's great. That's one of them. I mean, it looks like Fred Flintstone's like brontosaurus like rib when he's like carrying it back to his car in the beginning of the Flintstones uh, cartoon where he like sets mm-hmm. it on the side of his car and it sort of flips over. And and I think it's incredible. Uh, one, it looks good. Two, it's a healthy sized piece of meat. And who doesn't want to try it? Like, what man on earth doesn't want, okay, what real man on earth doesn't want a piece of steak that big or a, sh- a piece of cow, I should say, a piece of beef uh, that mm-hmm. large? Because it's incredible. Like, I, like I'm con- I've like i been really playing around in my head on, on, like, seriously strategizing on how to get myself all the way to Melbourne to try this. That... And the other one is is the barbecue at the table. It's like a small little barbie, as you guys mm-hmm. I think would call it in Australia. The barbecue, like almost like we would put um, barbecue, ch- uh, what's it called, charcoal in here in the United States. We would put charcoal in them, and you bring it to the table that way. And so did, have you always served like this family style meals or was this also something that came along with trying to create more creative ways of serving your food and bringing in an audience? Because there's how many dishes that are sort of what I'll describe as feed, feed the masses. Yeah. So this, this was an evolution again um, in, in basically our chasing what can we do that is going to be different and is going to uh, visually look great on social so we can market and also uh, create these wow moments for uh, for the customer. And one of the things that creates uh, a lot of wow moments is size. It just purely, simply size creates uh, uh, creates interest and uh, creates wonder. And, but uh, you can't, you're limited by how, how big a dish you can do for one person. So this brought us to, well, let's try creating something for two. Um, and that worked. And then we said, all right, well, if, if we created uh, created uh, a shared dish for two, why don't we try it for four? And that worked too. 
Um, so, uh, and then we tried it for six, and that worked as well, because uh, you know you're, you're limiting uh, by by increasing the number of people you need to buy one dish. You're limiting your your customers because not everybody goes to the restaurant with a group of four or six. Uh, most cust- uh, most customers are groups of two. So we were, we were worried that that's not going to work, but it did. It worked. It worked really well, and it worked well in two parts. First of all, uh, it worked well from social perspective that we could create really big dishes that would have been way too expensive for one or two, but work really well for four to six that look look amazing, and people love it because they they get so much more engagement and interaction in actually eating these dishes because everybody has to share. Um, and uh, and they're so big and and they are they're so interesting to look at and they they create this theater on their table while while they're eating it and this the concept of barbecue and a barbecue basically again it just it's it's a uh, it's an iteration of the thinking of what can we do that's that, that's different that necessarily wasn't done before and when we actually bring out that barbecue uh, we inject smoke and in, into it so when you when you open it to the table. Uh, you get lots of smoke like you would from a real barbecue or a real smoker coming out. Um, uh, uh, the, the chefs don't like it too much because one of the ways we do it is we actually put some smoking pellets inside in, 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 in the bottom. So uh, they, they have to do this custom thing for every one of those dishes that, that, that creates this effect. But the customers love it because they, they have smoke at the table. They, they, they smell it. They, uh, they can taste it. Uh, so there's, there's that, 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 Theater is constantly there for them, and obviously, and obviously, when they brought out, they brought out clothes. So when they open on the table, they they get to see something interesting as well. It's crazy to me because I am. It's it's so. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like so mesmerizing. It's so um, enticing. It's so. I don't know. It, it's almost like uh, you're in a trance like you see it and like you're, you're you're just thinking about how do I get to experience this show because it's showmanship there is so much showmanship even in the way you're doing the Instagram and your social media it's just an incredible incredible display and here's the best part that I like about it okay because I see a lot of people do a lot of showmanship and, and do a lot of what I would call gimmicks but yours is the real deal where people can actually eat this way people get get it it's actually not totally crazy you you know I see you guys pull use a little hand pullers to pull the meat off the bone the meat does fall right off the bone into the the pie or into the macaroni and cheese whatever it's in and it's just a real real world experience um and a real food experience to anyone who goes there and it's like people might actually travel the world just to experience what what you're doing now and it's taken a while before it's really caught on i would say but i can't get over the reactions, the amount of foodies that are coming around to try it, the number of people that are now sharing it on their own Instagram accounts. It's um, it's like it, the, the Thor's hammer is an Instagram celebrity, and we're not talking about the one from Marvel, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But, you, you know, it, uh, I, I will say that these, um, this process is actually a very uh, time-intensive, resource-intensive, and sometimes... Uh, 
cost-intensive process to come up with these dishes. We come up with two of these specials every every month. We've committed to it. That's part. That's basically um, a big part of our marketing marketing mix. But just um, you know, to give you an idea, with the barbecue and the barbecue, this little little uh, little uh, tabletop uh, barbecues, right? You you can you can um, searching for them uh, and, and trying to buy them. Really, the only place where we could buy them. Um, uh, cost effectively, we had to import them from China, and to do that, we had to do it to plan these three to four months in advance because that's how long it takes to to organize this this kind of stuff. Um, so some things take a bit longer, some things take a bit less time, but it's still it's a it's a monthly exercise where we work with with our executive chef. We come up with ideas. They don't work. We try some different ones. They don't work. We try some other ones. We then work out how do how do we um, uh, how do we make it so so we can film it? Then we have to do a storyboard as to how we film it, and then we film it, and then there is a whole editing process. So it's 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 a process. Uh, I mean, we we are different in that uh, probably one of very few businesses out there of the size that we are, where we have two full time staff members that do only uh, content creation, and that is filming, photography, editing, posting, all of that. We have two people that are full time on board doing just that and we are actually just about to run out of that capacity and we're gonna have to get more it's incredible um i'm really blown away by it because it's just such a cool experience i mean i can't imagine being at your restaurant and having and and being able to experience that it would be surreal i mean i can't imagine the reactions that you're getting from the audience um, I mean, what type of feedback? I mean, does it? So, just help me understand: is it re, does it is it drawing in like customers on a, on a regular basis to try that meal? Because I see, if you look in your Instagram, there's literally Thor's hammers, raw Thor hammers, like must be fifty of them on that table that I'm looking at on uh, Instagram. It's it, it's interesting. Uh, what what we're finding is that this so uh, our marketing effectively is driven by two new specials every month that are a bit over the top as you describe them uh, and they and and they change all the time so are they the ones that that give us our sales uh, total turnover not at all so they probably represent every time we put them on they are somewhere between top five and top 20 selling dish they're not the ones that that, that are driving all the sales what's interesting and this is surprising you think that okay we put this uh, crazy thing on and that's all we're going to sell for the for the months and that's not the case at all what 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 happens is that people see it on socials and they want to visit but they won't necessarily want to buy that they'll buy something something else and what what happens in in our case eh, one of the one of the biggest drivers of increase in sales for the restaurant was when we created platters so we didn't have uh platters and that's platters of so you get uh, a few different meats and a few different sides in one platter and we have platters for two four and six people um and uh what's interesting is that they're they're the best-selling items on the menu literally platter for two is the best-selling item platter for four is second best and platter for six is third best item, uh, selling item on the menu um so uh because what happens people come to the restaurant they think they want to try the special but then they see the platters where they can try many things at once and they just opt opt for that um 
but the people that try the specials, of course, they are they are incredibly uh, happy happy to try them. They take all sorts of photos uh, because they, they get to inter interact with it. They speak to all the tables around them because everybody wants to know how is it, and uh, and uh, and start start asking asking them questions. You just have to when you see these things come out. Um, and we are becoming more and more the destination. We're seeing that um, that that we we are actually probably getting somewhere about 15% of our uh, of our customers now from nowhere near local and by that i mean people are traveling from um a couple of hundred miles to a few thousand miles to to uh, to to come and, and and try it out. They they're beginning to make it a destination spot in Melbourne. So if they ever travel to travel to Melbourne, they want they want us to be on their itinerary. Right. I want you on my itinerary. This is incredible. What is the most popular of these dishes that we're talking about, of these sort of mass-feeding dishes? Okay, so one of those uh, most popular specials, a um, couple, couple. So we, um, we created a um, wheelbarrow challenge. So we we basically uh, serve uh, serve you a uh, a, a platter of, of different meat, meats and some sides, and we roll it out in a little wheelbarrow, literally to your table. So we we found some kids' wheelbarrows um, that we could uh, we could purchase. So that was that was really popular. People people go absolutely bananas when they see their food come out in a wheelbarrow. Um, so that uh, that's one. Uh, another another one that that's uh, really popular is uh, we created a, a meat dumbbell, um, which is basically uh, that that beef shin that you saw. But what happens is we cut out the center of it, so you got you got uh, meat on either side of the bone, and then you can actually pick up pick up that bone as a dumbbell. We we smoked it. Uh, we put it on a on a little pedestal. So that's another thing that we do is we custom make. Custom make um, plates, boards, uh, just uh, ways to serve it so that it uh, it exhibits exhibits the food in the, in the best manner manner possible. So we we basically made a dumbbell stand, uh, and it was served as a, uh, as a as a dumbbell. It was, it's a it's a huge chain, so it's still two two and a half kilos, so maybe what five pounds. Uh, five pounds of uh, of food plus we put all sorts of different sides etc underneath and that 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 went very well so th this kind of things uh this kind of things uh we we do all the time but you know when it comes to when it comes to the total percentage uh of uh of our revenue from these uh these items it's not great it, we're talking about maybe five percent six percent uh at best uh they are they are more uh, working uh, as a marketing uh, tool, and obviously people people love them when they when they're inside. And, and big groups just uh, buy these specials as a mix. They would buy uh, platters, and they would buy one or two specials just to just to have something amazingly creative on the table. I love it. I think it's an incredible thing that you guys are doing, and I think it's going exactly into our next conversation, which is. You know, we talked a little bit about franchising before, um, and I think you now have, you know, not just a normal concept, but or just another restaurant. You now have something that is. I mean, I can't. It doesn't matter who the imitators are for me. Like it matters that 
I know that you're the first one who did it. I know that people have tried to copycat it, but the reality is, is you were the first one of the first movers and the first mover in sort of this Thor's hammer and what you've been doing since I've been following you guys for quite a while. Talk to me about, is that the next step for you? Is franchising something you guys are working on or are growing your business to multiple stores, should I say? Yeah, so the, that's something that we, we have uh, started the process quite a number of months ago. In Australia, Australia is the most regulated franchise uh, world uh, uh, country in the world, basically. Um, so you need more paperwork, more legal requirement than literally anywhere else on the planet. So uh, to get to a point where all your paperwork is done so that you can actually sell a franchise in Australia, it takes between seven and 12 months. Um, and we finally just finished that about a month, month and a half ago. So we're, we're ready to, to sell franchises. We went this way just because our thinking is that we would like the operator of other venues that have our brand on it to have skin in the game, basically. Um, we could theoretically open more company, uh, company restaurants, but uh, our business... And look, our business is probably the same as all the other restaurants. It's not a simple business. It's, it's got lots of moving parts. It's complex. And if somebody is not looking after it like it's their own, um, things fall by the wayside and quality drops, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not, I'm not saying that it, won't, it can't happen even if there is a, somebody, uh, somebody operating that's, that's their business. But it has a less likelihood of happening. So we went down the franchise route. The, the only the only difference between what we are thinking how we're thinking about franchises and how most franchises are actually set up um, in the, uh, in this uh, in this field is that I don't like the way franchisors generally treat franchisees and uh, and there's been you know, if you were in Australia and I, I don't know about America but there's been lots and lots and lots of things written in the media about how franchisees are really upset about how how they're being treated by the franchisors it seems that franchisors are primarily interested in a money grab they want to make as much money pre-opening by selling the franchise by charging additional fees in setup by um, marking up all the all the setup costs and then they want to make as much money post opening by being being a middleman and selling product and again at a higher markup dropping dropping quality etc etc and then adding on top of that royalty fees and all of that so this is uh, and i'm generalizing here i'm sure there are franchises out there that don't do that but it seems to be pretty common which which is not great and if i was a franchisee i wouldn't want to get into a system like like that so we've simplified really our, our franchise such that we're not really interested in making money from the, from the franchisee unless the franchisee is successful. So we've made it so that if there is a franchise fee, that fee is paid 12 months after the start of the franchise and only if the franchisee does a certain turnover. And if, and if it doesn't, as far as we're concerned, it's our fault, not theirs, that we didn't teach them, we didn't market them well enough that they can make make uh, certain turnover and therefore they shouldn't be paying us if we stuff, uh, we, we, we didn't give them what we what we actually said we would. Um, and we, we made it so that we don't sell anything from the franchisee. We would want to train the franchisee to be a completely self-sufficient uh, business and just uh, there is a royalty fee because obviously we are we are providing a product, IP, etc. But other than that, 
we don't want to make any money on the franchisee. And if anything, we would like to help help them out, give them all the suppliers. But we're not going to be a middleman. We're not going to be scheme anything off the top. So that's really our thinking about uh, about franchises in that it needs to be the franchisee is the only partner that needs to be successful and if they're successful we will we will be successful if they're not successful we will not and we can't make any money if they're not successful i want to comment on this because i just, i think you're 100 spot on i think so many people have rushed into franchising their businesses that they've destroyed the business world uh i don't know how to describe that to everyone or um get that point across but you, they've literally rushed into the game. Everyone thinks their business is franchisable, even in the United States. They don't have any standard operating procedures. They don't have standard training. They don't pick the right operators for their business, a.k.a. franchisees. They do this, and in the long run, they're not setting up anyone to succeed, and they're collecting their money and then being like, okay, what am I, you know, I've done what I've done. You're not doing what you've done. It's your fault. And these franchisees are set up to succeed. And the franchisors, instead of realizing it's negatively impacting their business and their brand, are just wiping their hands clean or taking back over the franchise or selling it to someone else. And I'm 100% in agreement with you that there's just poor training. It's it's not only are you operating a business, but you need to train them on how to do the financials, how to order product, how to keep a proper inventory, make sure they're getting training in food safety. Do they even have a food background? I don't even know how many franchisees I've run into that are coming to me and asking me questions that I've never even been in food. I'm like, how did you get a franchise? You've never been in food. Did you get food training from your franchisee? No, they told us how to make the menu. Okay. They, they helped us build the restaurant. Okay, what else? Because you if you're not going to actually invest in the individuals who are investing in you, you're not going to succeed. You know what I mean? So I think it's just a very, very negative space right now, reputation-wise, because things are going so poorly. Um the franchisors are not taking care of their franchisees. They aren't giving them the proper training. They aren't setting up proper training programs. They aren't giving them the proper uh, standard operating procedures across the whole business. It's like, oh, we trained you, you know, what we call in the United States tribal knowledge. Okay, I gave it to you, but none of it's in writing. None of it's in a book. I mean, how do you hire people? How do you fire people? How do you, you know, do all these things that I think give the franchising business a bad name in my opinion and there's too many franchisors who are not setting up their franchisees to succeed and then when things go wrong they're blaming the franchisees well at the end of the day as a franchisor you're the leader so the if it's going bad with the franchisee it's a reflection of you as the franchisor or being a leader so i like that you said that um i and so, and you've waited a long time to get here. I think that's the other thing. Everyone thinks that they've been in a business a year or two and they're going to franchise their business. And I think that that's a big mistake. You haven't even really rode the ups and downs of your business or got out of the honeymoon period of your business if you're successful to understand what the downwards declines are and how to get out of them and how to market your way through ups and downs and do specials and stuff if your business isn't over, I would say, at least three years old. So... Greg, talk to me a little bit about how 
you feel you guys will are going to take care of the franchisees if you don't mind because i think it's important and you and i discussed this a little bit offline last time uh but i mean you you touched upon it a little bit here but let's get into a little more detail of the type of human you are and how you feel that you would support them differently yeah i understand so look we uh so our primary objective is to train, provide the training materials and also provide hands-on training to the franchisee such that they are a completely autonomous business and they don't need us. We will just do value-add. But if we didn't do value-add, they would still be successful. So what does that look like as far as we're concerned? Well, it looks like, well, first of all, do- documentation, absolutely. You need to have you need to have documentation for every step of, of the business so that they can refer refer to it and know how to um, how to do everything, right? But also uh, hands-on training. So we are we we're looking at training people in our restaurant and then in their restaurant as well through through uh, by our staff. Um, so that uh, so that every every part of the business has been trained, um, both the operator and whoever staff members they want wanted to provide for us. Um, we we are planning on giving uh, giving the franchisee lots of autonomy into how to set up and where to set up within certain. Uh, uh, criteria, obviously, and providing style guides, etc. So we we don't want to tie up the the possibilities for a franchisee uh, at the very beginning because that just that just limits the, the more limitations you put into the beginning of the business, the worse the business is going to be, and obviously going to be there at all times to provide any any help support. Um, that uh, that may be required because as far as I'm concerned, the benefit of being a franchise as opposed to opening your own business, I think there's only there's only two benefits there. One is um, one is IP and and marketing brand name, and the other is that um, when you're opening your own business, you basically have to reinvent the wheel every time. I know people say they don't, and you can read books and you can do this and you can do that, but when it, when the rubber hits the road. You're just gonna have to reinvent everything every time, and that takes time, effort, and lots and lots of money. Whereas if you if you open a franchise, you would hope that the franchisor has answers to all your questions because they've reinvented everything already in this particular business. So instead of you trying to work out everything from scratch, it's a matter of uh, asking and getting an immediate answer to essentially all your problems, and that's really where we believe we we can provide lots and lots of support. So it's um, it's our our IP and our marketing strengths, but also the fact that the business, the franchisee, doesn't have to reinvent every process once again, like everybody does. I love this, um, and and let me ask this: like, what? Like, how did you get the, I mean, have you always wanted a franchise? How, I mean, as you started this business, what were your goals? And you're fairly conservative, I would say. You you take things very strategically. You play chess, not checkers. And um, how how did you get to this where you're like, okay, it's now time to start thinking about this or it's now time to expand? Like, what was that triggering moment and why? The triggering moment was actually... Um, interesting it it was driven by uh social media would you believe because for about a year 
we've been asked non-stop literally uh by thousands of people to open here there and everywhere literally for about a year and so that that brought us to the point of uh and this was happening during uh during the covid time and uh during lockdowns in Melbourne that were horrific, etc. So we believe me, we were not thinking about expansion during that time. We were speak, thinking about survival um, during during those COVID COVID years. And people were just asking us, "Why don't you open here, there, everywhere?" Which brought us to thinking about, you know, how would we do it if we if we did do it? Uh, and uh, after investigating different variations of what can be done, we settled on franchising. So it wasn't really that strategic in that we thought okay once we hit this sort of milestone we're going to we're going to expand and this is how we're going to expand it it was driven by customer demand uh customer customer inquiry i love it i i love this because i think that you've let let it happen organically you didn't force it i think there's too many people that just are like let's do this i'm gonna do this and i'm like you need to slow down like there has to be a door that opens as a triggering moment for you to know it's going to be successful or otherwise you're going to try to franchise your business and your whole business is going to go down the tubes one you're spreading yourself too thin two you haven't been in business long enough to train a staff to support your existing business while you go try to grow your business through franchisees and I think the other part is is you, most people don't have the proper procedures in place and they don't have them written down. They don't have employee handbooks. They don't have how do you you know do payroll? How do you do all of that stuff that needs to go into the training of a franchisee? A lot of these people are operators or general managers or individuals who've never really run businesses on their own and they need all the guidance, not just how to make food. So I think that that's a big part of what we're talking about here. And, and I love that we're talking about it. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, so yeah, I was just going to say that this is where this is where our thinking is that we want to uh, we want to create a completely indef- independent, self-sufficient businesses out there that don't require us, and that uh, that means that we have to teach uh, or make sure either teach or make sure that they know um, the A to Z of the entire business, and the entire business is not just cooking food, it's not just serving food, it's everything else. And everything else is actually quite a big chunk of what uh, every business does every single day. Um, and uh, and sometimes it's the part that actually makes the business uh, fail because if they don't if they don't do the administrative things correctly, um, uh, they could they could fail. And this is what's happening to a lot of restaurants out there is that they're probably amazing at serving food. They probably have really good customer service. But if they don't do admin correctly, they don't know that there are gaps. They don't know that they're failing here or there and everywhere. And that just keeps accumulating. And at some point, it gets to a point where it kills their business. Yeah, I agree with this completely. Um, it's kind of a really cool thing um, that you said, which is you can't – like it's there's a t- – if it's not – the right path and it feels like a distraction then you shouldn't you shouldn't do it just yet but if it feels like it's going to complement your business and it's not a distraction of your existing business then it's time to move forward but it also takes a mindset i think it takes certain individuals like yourself who build things who have a very grounding who are very financially aware or savvy of what they're doing 
and are able to grow in that way. Because I think a lot of people, again, they're very creative. They have a lot of ideas. They try to grow their business as fast as possible. They're very money-oriented. Um, and like I said, it, it doesn't do well for them. Um, and, and just so talk to me a little bit about this strategically. Are you thinking about how are you planning on franchising? Are you thinking about going in Australia first? Um, I mean, the United States is obviously a market that this would do very well in. So, I mean, have you thought about how you're going to expand or strategically from what country to what country you're going to do this? Yeah, absolutely. So that's something that we spend quite a lot of time thinking about. But we're actually, we're actually driven a little bit by, again, cust- customer demand in that when we started putting out feelers for our people interested, even before we had all the necessary paper- legal paperwork to sell them just to see what, what the interest is like out there, 50% of interest came from overseas, which is which blew us away. It was really, really interesting to see. Um, so we are now sort of uh, looking, uh, looking and starting to work with uh, some companies that uh, that sell franchises or master franchises in other parts of, of the world. And obviously, we're also talking to people in Australia. I, I would probably prefer to open a few in Australia because we're going to learn a lot. Uh, I, I know for a fact that we probably don't know a huge amount about how it's all going to work. And that means and 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 uh, sorting out through all the uh, basically getting the learning curve done in Australia is going to be easier because it's so much so much closer. But we're certainly not um, uh, not against opening in other parts of the world. And we are talking to uh, people from England, from Middle East, America. America is an interesting one because I'm a little bit hesitant about bringing American barbecue to America. Um, yeah, that's where that's where it came from, and you guys are better at it than us. And uh, it's sort of it's a little bit weird. I mean, what we do is a little bit different, right? And I think Vegas would be an amazing spot for for what we do, given given that people want to want to be entertained when they're in Vegas, uh, and that's what that's what we provide. And and that's certainly certainly a spot that uh, we would be potentially looking at at, at at some point. We're just a little bit hesitant about U.S. But what we do is completely like literally not existent anywhere in Europe at all. Um, so that would be that would be an amazing market. And obviously England would be the simplest market because everybody is English speaking. Yeah, I so think when it comes to the U.S. market, um, it's so unusual what you're doing, and it's so unique in the the showmanship and the way you're presenting it that an American barbecue, and, and I'll just, just say this as person food, it varies by every place you go. And mm-hmm. so, like, there's very few places that that I would say define it. Like, even in Nashville, there's, like, a bunch of different types of barbecue, whether it's Texas, uh, St. Louis – uh, even all, what people would call Australian barbecue are on the Barbie, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I I hear what you're saying, but I think cities like Los Angeles and New York and Boston and Chicago are sort of not barbecue origin cities, meaning they're not like St. Louis, Texas, North Carolina. So they have all sorts of barbecue anyway. So I bet they would it would do really well there, particularly because the showmanship. Even Nashville, that has a mixture of all sorts of barbecue, also even though it's in the south, they love mm-hmm. showmanship in that city. They mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unbelievable because it's a showy town anyway, because it's Music City. 
and you have a lot of musicians who end up in food or end up restaurateurs, I think that that's a, a big, um, a big deal. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do agree with you in Europe, there isn't a lot of food concepts like this and Europe's not used to seeing something as what I would say large, um, mm-hmm. so much presentation and, I totally agree with you. I think it would really work there. Uh, So, I mean, how do you, like, let's just talk about this. How do you know if a franchisee is going to be right for your business? Right. Uh, Well, look, we would initially, our preference is to find franchisees from uh, a food background or at the very least that they ran businesses before. I don't think in the first sort of, 10 to 20 franchises, we want to have franchisees who are corporate escapees. Um, and, uh, and, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people going to franchise are essentially corporate escapees. So um, that's really going to be our primary focus is to find people who who have experience in, in, in food. Because what, what we do is not, is not QSR, it is not uh, a, a very simple model to execute. So it needs people who have some ideas to what is happening in restaurants uh, to be able to operate it initially until we learn all the ins and outs and what they don't know so that we can document that and then present it to people who have not run a food business before. Think. Um... What do you think is going to be your biggest obstacles in franchising? I mean, what are some of the things that you're sort of foreseeing that are going to be difficult for you? So, so from from a franchisee's perspective, from yeah, from, from a franchisee's uh, perspective, and from your perspective. But as a franchisee, what are the things that you you think are going to be the the biggest hurdles for them, and what are the biggest hurdles for you as the franchisor? Uh, biggest hurdle from us, and this is our biggest fear, is brand dilution. Uh, we really don't want our brand to to be misrepresented. Um, that that's really the biggest fear that we have ultimately. Um, so if the franchisee does not operate operate the business the way we would like them to operate it, then that's going to affect the entire group, um, and uh, and therefore we we're, everybody's going to be affected, and that's that's very very dangerous as far as we're concerned um and this is why we've sort of put in put in all sorts of um, uh, requirements on a franchisee that they have to operate and if they don't we we don't have to basically give them uh, our branding rights any any longer um this is not this is not non-standard but i think i think our requirements are actually quite quite stricter than most requirements out there because we're so scared about uh, about that uh, uh, that quality of brand perception by by our customers. But from the perspective of of the franchisee, um, their biggest uh, obstacles is going to be people management, like any business. I think um, it's not going to be marketing because we're pretty we're pretty happy with how we do marketing and, and how we do marketing for us will be how we do marketing for them and marketing for the group is just going to be stronger marketing than marketing from for, for one venue. Um, so we're not really worried about marketing. We're not really worried about finding customers um, because there's already a pent up demand there. What we're worried about is a franchisee managing their people to be able to provide the right result for the customer 
and for the for their business because and that's this is a problem that is not our franchisee related it's just a business related problem it happens in every in every business and it requires particular approaches all sorts of different knowledge um uh you know knowing how to how to manage people knowing psychology knowing all sorts of things to be able to basically get people to do what you want because that is not a natural thing for people to do people don't necessarily go out there uh to work every day to do exactly what the business owner wants crazy it's it's crazy cool that you're doing this um go ahead i'm sorry you were about to say something no no i was just i was just just saying it's a it's uh you you would you would think that uh people people that work for you they they have common uh interest uh and common common goals with the business but unfortunately i i, I don't see that very often and i don't see other businesses say that that's what's happening very often it does happen but it doesn't happen as a as a norm and it doesn't happen automatically and it requires all sorts of different strategies to align people with what you want them to do and at which speed you want them to do it I um I think it's pretty cool how you've gotten here. It's been a cool journey for you and just talking to you over the last I guess it's been like 6 7 months, maybe even 8 months now, maybe longer than that, 9 months that we've been talking or in coordinating and and trying to do the show. It's just I think it's a great progression for you. Now do you envision that all the franchisees they'll come to the main? I, they've got to come to the main location. I've got to imagine in Melbourne to do the training in order to be a franchisee. And and do you have a training program that you guys have worked on that that you're preparing for them? We have. So our preference is that yes, they come to the to the main venue and they spend a couple of weeks uh, training with us. And we have a program that we want to run them through to basically teach them the A to Z of how it needs to be done. Um, and and then the 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 plan is to then go to their site and essentially train them in situ uh, for about a week or maybe two. With again, we would send one or two members of our staff who would train them there. So we would provide somewhere between sort of three and four weeks of training, both in our venues and in, in their venues. Now, if if they cannot come to our venue, that's not the end of the world. We're just going to have to spend more time in their venue uh, to to train them fully, because ultimately we we see it as a as an absolute requirement. Because if we don't train them to operate operate uh, essentially our business, they're not going to be successful. They're just not. Interesting. What is your um? What are your biggest sort of hopes for this like where i mean are you hoping to grow this worldwide i mean if i mean i know you don't want to get ahead of yourself but what do you i mean with 50 plus interests or 50 percent came around the world excuse me from other parts of the world i mean how do you feel strategically you're going to do this you're going to take on australia first and then europe um or and then america or are you sort of going to let it happen organically I think I'm quite happy to to let it happen organically. I think what's going to happen is that there will be a few venues opening in Australia first, just because it's simpler um, and potentially can be can be done quicker. So, uh, but then where it goes after that, I certainly would like to make it uh, to make it a global enterprise. 
where it goes after that is going to be somewhat driven by demand by people who are interested to open individual locations the way we're thinking about this right now is that um we in in other parts of the world we would probably prefer to open a single location first and then if that uh if that company wants to take on a master franchise after that single um a single location is open we we can then happily uh work work with that and alternatively if somebody approaches us who is a who is a seasoned experienced master franchisee they know what they're doing they've got runs on the board we're quite happy to talk to them talk to them about that as a as a possibility uh it's just that we are uh we we're fairly conservative therefore we don't really uh, automatically assume that just because we're going to open something overseas it's going to be successful because it works it works here so we, we like to do as much testing as we possibly can do before jumping all in i think it's a good idea um if you were to 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 look at your menu are you going to take your entire menu that you offer now and bring it to the franchisees or is it something that you feel you're going to concentrate on different things like talk to me a little bit about that um yeah we probably would would uh use our entire menu apart from the dry edge steaks so we we have a part of our menu uh dry edge steaks which are complex in that you need a dry aging room um and then you need someone who knows how to cook steaks and that seems to be very complicated um for 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 an average chef i don't know why but it just is so that would be that would be available to a franchisee but only somebody who knows who knows first of all they want to spend the additional investment in creating a dry aging room because that costs somewhere between sort of 10 and 20,000 dollars to set up um and then uh and then uh if if they are competent enough to hire the right chefs that are able to execute consistently um uh, cooking steaks in the right way because the way the way we cook with our, our steaks the way we've done it we only have we only do three cuts and uh, uh, so it's one one kilo so that's a that's a sort of a uh, a four pound um four pound yeah four pound uh plus uh ribeyes and uh uh sort of uh two plus kilo uh tomahawks which is what is that is that 8 pounds i think it's 8 pounds um so no 8 pounds is 4 kilos so it's four, yeah so sorry you, you double you double the 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 numbers um so they're very large cuts and you need to do them uh you need to do them uh you need to have a little bit more understanding of how to cook uh steaks than just uh, cooking a, a thin steak uh, on a grill for 1 minute on each side So uh but but the, again it's a point of difference the reason we did that is because first of all the dry age and that's a, that's an unusual thing most most restaurants in Australia don't sell dry age it's a, it's a much more prevalent thing in America than it is in Australia um and secondly they they're quite large and most of the time people people share them uh because uh, they're expensive uh, so people would get one steak and share between two or three four people depending on 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 which steak they get so that's something that we would not necessarily uh offer as a as a must to other restaurants but the rest of the menu yeah absolutely it's completely translatable to to everywhere love it greg as we sort of wrap things up here like what is it as an individual 
and as a business owner, what are what are the things that are sort of inspiring you right now to keep going? Because this is a big leap to get into franchising. It's a big leap to try to grow your business internationally. What is it that's inspiring you to do it and, and motivating you to grow your business in this way? Um, well, for, for me personally, I am a huge fan of just generally growth. I like I like to grow. I like to learn new things and uh, I like to uh, reach new milestones because progress, I think, is pretty much everything in life. If you're progressing in in um, in life, you're sort of happy. That's that's my belief. I equate progress with happiness. So uh, that would uh, that would continue to give us that progress. It would it, it, it would give us uh, new milestones to hit. It would give us um, uh, new um, uh, new learning uh, and uh, and understanding. So all the things associated with progress is inbuilt into into uh, into this expansion, which is something that. I associate with something that needs to happen in my life that I would like to progress. In this case, uh, it covers everything. It probably, hopefully, will uh, will give us more sales, which would give us uh, more profit, and it would give us more things to learn, understand, develop, create. Very cool. Um, lastly, how are like how do you go about? bringing in the right individuals into your business like you've obviously got a successful business they've got to see the vision of the thor hammer they've got to see the vision of the showmanship like you talked about always hiring like you're always hiring basically they're always having ads out there to bring in people but how are you finding the right individuals is there a criteria or a, a character you're looking for um, in terms of their morals and ethics like how are you defining or looking and weighing that you have the right humans working for your business? Okay, so um, I don't know if we've got if we've got it sorted yet. In fact, I'd say that we don't. Um, but we, we're getting closer. We're getting better at it than we than we were we were before. So um, we we're looking at. Um, it depends if we're hiring for chef roles or back of house or front of house. They're a little bit different criteria, some somewhat overlapping. Um, so for for back of house, the way the way we we hire is we always do trials. So it's never just an interview. Uh, it's a trial, but it's a very short trial. It's a trial that lasts maybe maybe an hour. So uh, and what we're looking for is we're looking for a person that is. We give them a few recipes to just to 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 make right. Um, and uh, they're pretty simple. There's nothing uh, complicated or sophisticated there. But we're looking for speed, um, and we're looking for accuracy, and we're looking for uh, sort of inquiry. We want the person to not just stand there and wait for us to give them everything. We want a person who actually uh, makes themselves useful uh, during, during their trial in whatever way they can with the limited capacity of what they can do obviously without no, knowing the business um uh, so we're not we, th those are those are main main things that we're looking for we're not looking for you know are they chatty um obviously we want them to fit into uh I into the team right and that's something that uh, they either do or they don't you, you can see that a person is going to either be th similar to the rest of the team or they won't be similar to the rest of the team uh, for for front of house, really, um, 
our main goal is to have a person who knows a little bit about how restaurants work, but also just jumps out of there, uh, just just wants to help, right? We've seen too many times when we do a trial for front of house, a person comes in, stands in the corner and just and just, just uh, does nothing unless there is a job that's pointed at, uh, at directly, right? Uh, as soon as a person does that, we, we don't hire them. But if a person just uh, finishes whatever task is given to them, and then jumps in and helps with something else. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's whether it's polishing glasses, uh, polishing forks, cutlery, or just whatever, uh, wiping tables. Just on their own accord, with you know, on their own initiative. That's what we're looking for because everything else can be taught. We're not right. Um, uh, this is not um, uh, sort of rocket science. We don't do any of that. It's, our business is reasonably simple. Uh, but only for people who are willing to to work and uh, who are willing to to do things without being asked the 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 people that are not unfortunately our business is too complicated very cool thank you greg for your time thank you for today um is there anything you want to share with the audience or anything that maybe i'm not saying from an entrepreneurial standpoint or anything we didn't cover about franchising that you want to sort of talk about before we get off? Um, uh, maybe a couple of things. So just my view on fr- franchising is yeah, that absolutely. Uh, the, way we've, we, the way we've set up our franchises is that y- you don't pay your franchise fee until effectively you're successful, until you're making money, until you're making profit from which you can actually pay the franchise fee. And we did it specifically to make sure that the franchisor and the franchisee are completely aligned in French in, in the franchise being successful and that seems to be literally the first time in the world that happened I might be wrong okay and I'm happy for people to tell me but that that's the first time of or let's say extremely rare and that makes no sense to me okay why is it rare it should be the norm um, because uh, because I don't understand why you'd buy a franchise if the franchise or from day one is not completely committed to you being successful um, so for all the all the uh, future franchisees out there, I would just be very cautious about buying a franchise where everything is skewed towards the franchisor and pretty much nothing is skewed towards the franchisee. So that's really that's that, that's that's really the main thing I wanted I wanted to say because after looking at a lot of franchises, um, I really was very uh, baffled, really, and uh, concerned that they're not they're not doing that. I agree with you. I think that it, you got to really look at uh, those who have an altruistic or holistic perspective on the relationship, and they look at it as a partnership to grow, um, not just a way of making money. I think too many people look at it as a quick way to make money or grow their business and use other people's money. Uh, to grow their business, as we've talked about a little bit before, but mm-hmm. um, the um, I would say that you, it, it's just something to be aware of. If you're out there trying to look for to be a franchisee, you need to do your homework. You need to go talk to other franchisees in the business. You need to do your due diligence, and you um, need to look at what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. And I'm not saying that there are bad, 
that all franchises are bad. Not at all. Uh, I'm sure there is lots and lots of people that are very successful in franchise, uh, in, in being a franchisee, and they would love to order others. And in fact, in in a lot of franchise systems, uh, multi, uh, most of the franchise franchises are actually opened by franchisees that have multiple venues. So that that just says that they're, they're successful. It's just that there seems to be quite a lot of them out there that are not necessarily looking after the interest of the franchisee. Okay. Yeah, and I think that um it's um it's just one of those things that you have to be aware like it's it's hard to say this, but if you're not doing your homework, you're not going to pass the test. And the test is whether or not you run the franchisee or you run as a franchisee, you run the business successfully. Um so Greg I do have one more question now that you just said that. Have have you met franchisees that have been that are coming to you now that are franchisees and other businesses that are looking to you guys to sort of be that better franchisee or franchisor, excuse me? I well I I I've met both. So I've met uh franchisees saying I'm really um, uh, dissolution with with my franchise, and I'd like to change it. Okay, and and I've also met people who um, are running restaurants right now that are underperforming, and they're thinking of converting their restaurants to um, to our franchise. And what what we've isolated, in fact, is probably our best target market out there are restaurateurs who are currently already have a venue, already operating a venue. But for some reason, that venue is not performing as well as as it could be, um, and they're looking at a better system um, because the conversion of that venue to our franchise is going to be way way uh, less costly uh, than starting something from from scratch. Um, the, so the only risk there is, you know, is that venue not performing because the the person operating it is not doing the right things, or is it because they are. Uh, they just don't have the right model, so that's something for us to isolate. But, but they are definitely there's, there's literally hundreds of thousands of restaurants around the world that are un- underperforming, um, and they they would be a really good candidate for us um, to to look at them as a fr- as a as a franchisee, and we would be a really good uh, solution for them to to turn around their business. It's really cool, and I think that I agree with you. Um, thank you for your time today, Greg. Um, I know we went over like a lot of time, and, and we've given this a lot of time, but, I mean, if there's anything else that you want to discuss, I want to give you one more one more chance because we did talk a lot today. I would like to have you back on in a couple weeks again to maybe ask some other questions that we didn't get to today. Um, and also give you time to sort of get this franchising thing under your belt and start having conversations about it, and we can talk about that more. But is there anything you feel outside of the franchising that we didn't discuss today that you'd like to discuss? Any motivation really. for any entrepreneurs I, I think, out there? I think we covered, covered a lot. Uh, we, we covered a lot. Uh, if, people are, if people would like to get any other, um, I don't know, if they want to talk, talk, talk to me about anything, um, we're, we're here, reach out. Um, ask, ask questions. We're happy to answer. We like to provide value to people without necessarily getting any value value back. Because uh, I, I believe in karma, and if you if you if you 
put it out there. I'm sure it'll come back. So we're quite happy to give if people need advice or suggestions or talk to us about how we do things. We're happy to to answer any questions out there. Absolutely. Where can they find you online? Where can they find you on social media? And where can they get information if they're interested in being franchisees? Uh, look, thirdwavecafe.com.au is the website. Third Wave Cafe is the social tag. So whether you're on Instagram, Facebook, um, you just go to Third Wave Cafe, you'll find us. You can DM us. Uh, you can email us through our website. The email is info at thirdwavecafe.com.au. Um, you know, there is, there is information about franchising on our website. So we're reachable on every one of those channels. Very cool. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for, I'm sure, I don't even know what time it is in Australia right now, but I appreciate you taking the time to get on here with us. And I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you doing a part three. I appreciate you agreeing to come back on again down the road and continue to tell your story because I definitely want to continue to tell your story because I know it's a successful story and it's going to continue being successful. And I know that a lot of franchisees are going to benefit and gain wealth uh, and freedom and independence from becoming franchisees under your model. Uh, I can see the success. I can see the way you market advertise. I can see how enthusiastic uh, everyone is, especially the customers when they've tried your product. So that's really cool. I've been at your restaurant and the showtime thing, you know, the show business, the having that showmanship, I think, and that professionalism that you display is, is really cool. So Thank you again, Greg. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening in. If you like this episode, please share it. Please give it a five-star rating. Please write a review. Please like the podcast if you guys haven't already done that. Please give it uh, high reviews. Share it to other food entrepreneurs who are in the food entrepreneur space. They benefit a lot from these episodes. And really, I just want to say thank you, everyone. I love you guys. I really appreciate all of you. I appreciate all the positivity we get from the fan base. It's rarely we get anything negative, if ever, anymore on the podcast, especially over the last two years. It's been nothing but positivity and appreciation and growth and comments about how much value individuals are getting out of it. Okay. And I'm going to leave everyone with just this note. You know, we did have a message come in the other day that, that an individual was able, by listening to these shows and imply some of the things he's learning from the 300 plus episodes. He's been able to grow his business from $500,000 a year to multiple locations and has now, over the last few years, grown it to $11 million a year. So that just tells you guys what kind of information, what listening to this show benefits. What also this individual has done is he's reached out to a lot of other individuals who have been on the podcast and sort of talks to them on a regular basis as well. And, you know, we are trying to start a group here, Gorilla Brave, for anyone that does do this networking, that is trying to do this, this connecting everyone across the globe. If you want to find us on Instagram, that's just at Gorilla Brave, G-O-R-I-L-L-A-B-R-A-V-E. You know, the first things you guys are seeing posted by us are actually leaderships. Uh, tactics and leadership principles that go along with being in any entrepreneur business, but particularly food. So you can find us there, but you'll eventually see a link over the next few months. I mean, sorry, few weeks uh, that'll allow you to sign up and be part of this group on a global scale. So 
Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Again, keep your eyes open for that Gorilla Brave thing since I do get a lot of questions on how people can network with each other. Greg and I were just talking about it before the show, so it reminded me to bring it up again. Uh, we are trying to work on it. I have been slow. I've been been waiting for it to happen organically, like we talk about franchising, and I'm now starting to get a lot of people. I just got the feedback from this individual that said he grew his business from $500,000 in one store to multiple, multiple locations now and does $11 million plus a year right now or is on his way to do more than that. It's already year-to-date $11 million uh, U.S. And so that just tells everyone what kind of content they're getting out of this show, what kind of feedback we're, we're getting, and the benefits of listening to all the entrepreneurs who come on the show. So again... Please share it. Thank you again, Greg. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. If you want to find us, you can find us on Instagram, at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. If you want to listen to this show or any of the other shows we do, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And we're out.